Welcome to the Drop-Off. Epic conversations about the workforce of today and the talent of tomorrow. Featuring candid, pointed conversations with influential business leaders. Here's your host, Nicole Real. Thanks for tuning into the Drop-Off today. I'm Nicole Real, and joining us is Sue Renner, the Dynamic Executive Director of the David and Laura Mirage Foundation and the Consortium Foundations and Nonprofits under Mirage Foundations. With a keen focus on advancing artists' self-sufficiency through Black Cube and streamlining child care providers' operations at Early Learning Ventures, Sue is a force for positive change. Sue's journey includes establishing a nonprofit contemporary art center and significant contributions to the early care and education landscape, including co-chairing Governor Jared Polis's Early Childhood Leadership Commission, just to name a few. Now in a momentous transition, Sue shared that she'll be retiring from her position as the executive director in March, taking on the role of a Mirage Foundation board member and strategic advisor for early care and education policy. Her passion for social impact paired with her ability to drive solutions is truly inspiring. So welcome, Sue. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nicole. I'm really happy to be here. I should also note that Sue is an EPIC executive member and also one of our founding members and board members as well. So we're going to dive into your history and talk more about you know how you got here and, and your journey. Uh, so let's start with, you know, we love to learn more about our members and learn about their professional and personal journeys. You know, everyone's career path is a bit of a zigzag we learn in these podcasts. So could you just tell us more about your professional background, you know, your professional journey and how you ended up in focusing on early care and education and all of this great work with Mirage Foundations. Yes, thanks, Nicole. I'd be happy to. And I agree that everyone, it's so much fun to hear how people get to where they are today when you think about where they started. I actually started my career in early childhood education, uh, beginning with my education. So after high school, went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo in California and did my undergrad in early childhood education. And then I came out to Colorado to do my master's at CSU. And I was really on a path to my PhD when I met my husband on a Friday night in a bar in Fort Collins. <laughs> and I'm a happy- lot of stories change that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to say he's my husband to this day, 40, 42 years later. Um, wow, congrats. So thanks. So yeah, it did take a bit of a turn. Um, I spent a few years home with our children. And then when I went back to work, went into working with children with disabilities and children birth to three with disabilities and started that in Fort Collins and then brought that down into Denver when we relocated. Did that for a number of years. And then I had a really um, amazing opportunity to found my own nonprofit organization. And that came about through some federal funding that came to the Department of Education here in Colorado. And I was offered this opportunity, and I started an organization called Early Childhood Connections for Arapahoe County. And we served, um, at that time in the initial stages, we served about 500 children a year, birth to three, with disabilities. And basically our role 
was to help those families connect to services. So we didn't do the direct service, but we did what's called service coordination for those families. We grew that organization. We added Douglas County, and uh, ultimately we were serving over 1,000 children a year. So it was an incredible organization, incredible opportunity for me with Startup uh, just to be involved with that and grow that organization. I then moved on. I was ready to kind of branch out a little bit from early childhood and see sort of what the next opportunities in my career would be. And I had the opportunity to join uh, David and Laura Mirage's organization. That uh, was in 2006. And when I joined, they had two foundations. They had their parents' foundation, mm-hmm. and then they had their, their foundation. And I came in, no early childhood work initially, which was super, super interesting for me because up to that point, that was my entire career. Yeah. But I got to work in some really fun um, art projects with Laura. Uh, We did a lot with Jewish Life. Mm -hmm. And then it was interesting as I would have more and more meetings with David and Laura, it was just kind of David really teasing out my early childhood background. And it was really, really fun to see their eyes get open to how these services are delivered, the challenges families have, and first and foremost, the importance of early childhood education in an entire lifespan. Yeah. yeah. And so it didn't take long, I would say within nine months of joining the organization, where David said, you know, I'd like to do something in early childhood. And then, of course, it was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So (laughs) that's how this whole thing got started. And um, I've had really the honor to be here 17 and a half years, and it's been an incredible journey. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and I think sometimes it just takes connecting the dots with someone who has that expertise. I remember David, you know, being on our podcast and talking about, you know, a story with that he had witnessed in his own workplace, right, where childcare had been a real challenge for um, someone who worked for him, and that that had always really stuck with him. But oftentimes, you know, and we see this a lot through Epic, business leaders are interested, they really do want to help and do something. But it's such a nuanced area, mm-hmm. right? And you really need to have that partner with the subject matter expertise who can say, okay, you know, here's how we can make a difference, right? And really digging into the how. Yes. You know, that's how people really get involved. Absolutely. We can't underestimate that because of the complexities with early care and education and how it's delivered. It's not a public delivery system, as you know. It's Mm -hmm. private for the most part and very disaggregated. And that's what makes it complex. It shouldn't be. Right. (laughs) But but it is. And I agree with you. Um, I think the other thing that's really important that I'd like to note is that the power of bringing a business leader's business acumen, Mm -hmm. entrepreneurial experience. I think a lot of us have entrepreneurial spirit, but maybe not experience with it. And so I think um, one of the things that David and I and and Laura really try to talk a lot about is the power of a philanthropist really bringing their business experience into their philanthropy. For sure. And that's where I think we really saw um, the energy and the horsepower is when, yes, I could bring my nonprofit expertise, my um, early childhood expertise, but it was David's business expertise and experience that really came together with that combustion. Yeah. 
Well, let's, so let's talk about those first steps, right? You started getting involved in early childhood. What did that look like? How did those, how did those things come together? And I know I mentioned early learning ventures earlier. So can you share a little bit more about that and really the genesis of that model and that organization? Yeah, I'm so proud of that organization. I really am. I mean, it's, it's really incredible to see what that team has done over the years. So yeah, so we started, uh, we started in this journey of early childhood. And it was really fun for me, like I said, because it was like, ECE 101, you know, like I got to um, every meeting we had, I got to like give them a little bit more information. I actually like put together a notebook for them, you know, um, mm-hmm. and then we went and started touring the country and started looking at programs. Because again, yeah. neither one of them really had much experience with how are these services delivered. Right. So. Mm-hmm. I really wanted them to see sort of the breadth of the sector. We went to family childcare home. We went to beautiful centers. And then we met with other policy experts and philanthropists around the country that were interested in this work. And that, I think, was really eye-opening to David and Laura for them to see that, you know, there have been these dedicated concerned uh, philanthropists for decades that have been working in this area. And so... Really, what we tried to do was say, where could we add value? You know, we're relatively, Mm -hmm. you know, small, regional foundation, private family foundation. There's a lot of positives to that. You know, we didn't have a big board. We didn't have a lot of trustees telling us what they wanted us to do. Right. You're pretty nimble we were, in that way. Yes. Yeah. We were very nimble. We could make quick decisions. You know, I worked almost daily with David. And so if there was something that came up, I could quickly go to him. So we tried to look at what all our strengths were. Another uh, key strength, in addition to being nimble, is that we are housed, our foundation is housed in David's business office. Mm -hmm. And so we had access to all of the top services in terms of marketing, legal, accounting. And so we could really lean into that as well, which Sometimes foundations are not set up that way. Right. So when we put all that together, Nicole, and we looked at what our strengths were, we looked at where we saw big needs in in early childhood, we landed on this idea of could we improve the business model of childcare? Really, ultimately, our goal is increasing access to quality care for all children in this country. And what we discovered is one of the biggest barriers to that is the business model of childcare. You know, as you know all too well, it's just a very fragile and often failing market. So we really started to take a look at that. And that's where we really, we ultimately landed on this idea of, is there a way to make these small, independent, often fragile childcare businesses stronger. Mm -hmm. That's it. Just flat out. That's what we wanted to do. Yeah. And a lot of these businesses, you know, so it's 90% women, you know, oftentimes I think 60% women of color that we see in the industry across the board. But, you know, the other, the other piece of this is, you know, the margins are so slim in the business, but these individuals are doing what is essentially like 20 jobs. Oh yeah. I mean, they're running the facility. They're serving as the director and the administrator. They're working with parents. They're filling in gaps in the classroom for ratios or group sizes when people call out, right? They're trying to run their books, all of these pieces. So early learning ventures comes in and says, okay, like, you know, we recognize that there's this kind of core set of administrative needs. How can we help with that? 
Exactly. And so when I say that we initially started with this idea of improving the business model, that's very top level, right? It's right. like yeah. lots of ways to attack that. And so the way that we chose to attack it was through a concept of shared services, which is basically lifting off the administrative burden of a small independent business. If yeah. you think of the banking industry is set up this way. You know, they have a back office that's many, many miles away from where the actual local bank is. Right. And so yeah. we said, is there a way that we could bring this to childcare? We highly value these small independent businesses. There was no way we wanted to go in and start doing mergers or acquisitions. Right. It's not a takeover strategy. No, it was not a takeover <laughs> strategy. It was like, is there a way to bring these businesses administrative strength Make them strong where it matters for business, but keep it small where it matters for children and families. Yeah. And that was our original goal. And we were involved in a lot of areas of shared shared services and bringing shared services to child care. One of them was almost creating an ecosystem, if you will. We launched a conference. We worked with national finance experts. We really tried to say, you know, what can we do sort of from a systems change Mm -hmm. level? And then we also said, hey, we have the capacity to develop a model of shared services. Could we incubate that right here in Colorado? And could it be something that could go national? Yeah. That was, I think, the most transformative value that David and Laura Mirage brought to this was they were willing to dig in, get their hands dirty, and create a model. Yeah. And we had the good fortune of having really good relationships here in Colorado with the governor, with our early childhood systems leaders. So we were able to actually get in and work side-by-side with childcare licensing, the food program, you know, lots of the things that make running a childcare business challenging. Yeah. We tried to streamline, automate, and scale for them on the back end. Right. So, like the economies of scale model, right? Tapping into that buying power that we see with lots of other larger organizations, really creating that for the industry. Exactly. And then the importance of philanthropy. Besides developing the model, our other big value proposition there was we were able to keep the cost of this service down. Yeah. You know, unlike banking and healthcare and other industries that use shared services, childcare providers don't really have the profit margin to be able to pay for these outside services. Yeah. So over the years of running ELV, 15 years now, We've subsidized the model heavily so that childcare providers aren't having to pay the full cost of that back right. office service. Yeah, which is great. Well, and I'm I'm assuming now that you know the national reach has happened, right? You've got some good um, reach and participation, and and really like a proven model there. Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah, they're in eleven states and. Um, Working, I think we looked the other day, um, over a thousand childcare businesses are benefiting from this service now. Wow, that's great. What a cool story. Well, and I think you've done some of that work with, you know, artists and budding entrepreneurs on the, you know, arts and humanities side as well, right? Because you've also done work with Redline and some of those art galleries. How does that tie into this work as well. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, people are often surprised to hear that our foundation has these very 
often seemingly separate areas of work, mm-hmm. art, Jewish life. Interestingly, there is a lot of connection between them. Yeah. And I would say one of the connections is how we approach our philanthropy. Mm-hmm. From the beginning, David and Laura are very, they were very interested in using their philanthropic capital as venture funding. They really wanted to see their dollars be used as seed funding for much bigger projects. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like I mentioned earlier, they're willing to get their hands dirty. And so an example of that in the arts was that Laura saw a real void. She's a professional artist, and she saw a void in her own career development when it came to having an artist community. When she was in grad school, she had that. But when she got out of grad school, she didn't have it. You're like on your own. You're on your own in your studio. Yeah. (laughs) And um, she didn't know much about the art world in terms of sales and all of that. So she had a goal to set up an art community that ended up being um, many things. It's known as Redline here in Colorado. Um, But what I love to talk about that story is that The foundation went out and bought old building. It was a parts warehouse. Mm -hmm. Um, Bought this old building in Curtis Park, just outside of Denver, and spent over a year renovating that building, you know, really putting millions of dollars into the renovation and turning it into a really extraordinarily beautiful art space. And then the other thing we were doing, so while Laura was doing that, I was over on the operation side saying, we have to start an organization. And right, so yeah. we established a nonprofit known as Redline. We um, recruited a board. We did all of the things that you have yep. to do. Um, it's a heavy lift. Yes. <laughs> There's a yes, lot there. <laughs> get an organization off the ground. And then um, Laura, like I said, was working on the design and creativity side of the building, as well as starting to think through the model of having resident artists, high-tier or top-tier art exhibition, Mm -hmm. and then also, you know, sort of first and foremost on our minds with this project was social impact. We really wanted to see both the building itself have some sort of an effect on the neighborhood, and we also, of course, wanted the artists that were going to be residents to also be having a positive effect on the community. That organization is also now 15 years old. And I can say that both of those goals have totally come to fruition. Yeah, I mean, the neighborhood is really unrecognizable from what it was 15 years ago. And I do have this little sense of pride that maybe we had a little bit to do with that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then the organization itself, the artists, oh my gosh, Nicole, they're in their 15th year of having these resident artists who turn over about every 18 months. Wow. Many of who have gone on to have very, very successful artistic careers. That's incredible. Yeah. And quite an alumni group, I imagine, too. Yeah. You know, if you actually look at, you know, over that time period, how many of those artists moved through Redline and were supported through that work. That's Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. I love it. Well, let's transition a little bit. We're going to transition over to Epic because I know that you've been involved really since the beginning with Epic. Um, we talked about this a little bit too with David when he was on the podcast as well. But, you know, I'd love to hear about, you know, your journey and work with Epic. You know, why was it so exciting to you when this group of business leaders was really coming together to talk about early childhood and how they could have an impact directly on this field. Really, when I use the word earlier, transformational, I think Epic has also had a transformational effect with early childhood, early childhood policy in Colorado. 
I love talking about Epic. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so when we first started, like I said, we we went uh, down the path of business transformation and really trying to see what we could do to be a catalyst for that in the childcare industry. Right alongside that, we realized that unless we change the funding model, unless we increase the public investment in early care and education, we can do all we want on the business side. These businesses are still going to be fragile and failing. Right. And so David was very, very supportive of putting a you know, pretty significant portion of our work into early childhood policy reform, both at the federal level and the state level. And so as we are working on some of those early efforts, and again, it was all about increasing the public cost share, if you will, of childcare. Yeah. As we were working on that, David and I were having a lot of meetings with his peers, individuals who were very politically astute, very politically, you know, really knowledgeable about how to use their political capital. I'm sitting in those meetings thinking, oh my gosh, like we don't have enough of this in early childhood, you know? <laughs> For sure. So right. <laughs> it was David though, that after a couple of those meetings said to me, and I'll never forget, you know, driving back to the office from, from a, me- a meeting that we had where he said, you know, Sue, I think we need to create an organization And what he talked about at the time was a business roundtable. I think that was terminology that maybe he had from other uh, areas Mm -hmm. of work. And he said, I think we need a business roundtable that we can tap their political influence. They can put early care and education, early childhood education at the top of their political agenda. And I was just sort of thinking... Wow, that sounds wonderful, David. But how does this happen? You know, you're literally taking business leaders who've never even thought about how little kids are cared for. Exactly. So our first idea was to reach out to the Denver Metro Chamber, which we did, because I thought, you know, they have committees. And I thought maybe they could form an early childhood committee. And so we went and met with their CEO at the time, who was, you know, very lovely, very welcoming to our, our meeting, and basically said no. <laughs> he said, yeah. "You know, Sue, we have an education priority. It's higher education." Yeah. He goes, "I love what you guys are doing. We can't take it on." So our next stop was uh, Colorado Concern, mm-hmm. and we went and we met with Janice Sinden and with my colleague Lindsay Dolce. We kind of told her about our ideas, and she jumped on it. She said, you know, Sue, year over year, our members have put education at the top of their priorities. We're not doing enough about it. There's other organizations that are working on K-12 and higher ed, but I've not heard of anybody working on early childhood. Yep. And I can't even tell you, Nicole, the feeling that I had um, after that meeting. It was so validating. And, and again, she was just so interested, you know, and yeah. she said, I need to learn more. Yeah. She mentioned in the meeting, um, I believe he was their chair at the time, Dan Ritchie. Mm-hmm. And yep. Dan, of course, um, had a strong and, um, you know, high interest in early childhood. He was very involved with the Buell Foundation, who's, um, yep. you know, deeply involved in early childhood. And so David and I came back, we talked about it, and we had lunch with Dan. Dan was super excited. He was like, yes, Colorado Concern, yes, early childhood. And so it wasn't long, I don't think, Nicole, probably within weeks that we were able to get the founding partners pulled together. Mile High United Way with Christine Bonero was hugely supportive. Um, Colorado Children's Campaign, Mm -hmm. Chris Watney. 
And that was very important to us too, that while we were sort of organizing the business sector around this, we didn't want to leave out our nonprofit longstanding partners. partners. Right. You know, people have been involved in this mm-hmm. advocacy work forever and ever. And we thought we we viewed it as we're bringing them a new tool, a new lever for advocacy, and we wanted them to be working right alongside. To this day, we have almost that same yeah. core group of founding organizations yeah. together with the growing sort of uh, army of business leaders, you know, where we started with Colorado Concern and a handful, we now have, you know, just the most powerful business leaders in Colorado who are putting early childhood at the top of their priority list when it comes to advocacy. Right. Yeah. And you don't have to be an expert in the space to make really big impact and change. And I think that's the, that's one of the great powers of Epic is like you said, we are leveraging that political capital, that influence, those names, those voices, because they are powerful. There's so much power that's carried with being a, a you know notable CEO, right? A business leader, a large employer, a philanthropist. You know, those words have power. And so that's, you know, that's the great thing about Epic is, you know, we we are working with people who say, hey, this is not my area of expertise. Exactly. Right? I'm not an expert mm-hmm. here. I don't know a lot about it, but I know enough that this is important mm-hmm. and we're going to prioritize this. So, yeah, I agree. And I think, it, you know, something I mentioned earlier about business leaders expertise. I mean, you know, a lot of our members know how to work the capital. They know how mm-hmm. to access political power when they need it because they've done it for years for their businesses. Right. And so, you know, what I think has been really fun with Epic is seeing how excited business leaders get when they can go to the Capitol and talk about little kids, talk about childcare, you know, that for them, I think it gives them a way of sort of touching their heart, putting mm-hmm. policy together in a way that they hadn't experienced before. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, if you have one thing to say to business leaders or anyone really who's listening to this podcast, what would you say to them about getting involved in Epic? Well, first and foremost, early care and education means something to all of us, to society. What happens to a child in the first 1,000 days of their life sets them on a course. Their brain development in those early months and years is the foundation for everything that comes after and so to think that quality childcare is not your problem is foolish. It affects everything. And so how to get involved with that, how to advocate for that, Epic is there. Epic is there. Epic is at the Capitol making the difference. And beyond champ being the champion, you guys are also crafting policy. You're out there in the field really understanding what is going to make the most difference in this industry. What is going to make the most difference for children and families? Because don't forget, ultimately what this is all about is ensuring that no door is the wrong door for quality childcare. You know, families make their choices based on a lot of personal reasons. And what we want to ensure is wherever they land, wherever that child ends up spending their day is a quality experience. And because you and your team are out in the field working with this industry, you really understand what the most critical levers are. 
And so I think that's something, too, that members can trust, Mm -hmm. is that what you all are doing and what you're being champions for is the most impactful policy. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, it's great work. It's exciting and it's important. So before we wrap up, one one more question, right? Everyone's like, okay, you know, universal preschool, big deal. It's been in the media. It's been in the news. Uh, we've heard about the great success, you know, 60% participation rate from families in year one, outstanding. We've heard about the bumps in the road. You know, someone asked you, hey, Sue, what's all this about? What's your two-minute answer? <laughs> I'm glad I get more than a second. <laughs> What's your two-minute answer to say, how is Universal Preschool going? Is this a success? You know, what's all this buzz about? Flat-out success. Unequivocal success. So let's just start (laughs) with that. The fact that Colorado really created a model. When I talked earlier about transformation, breakthrough, this is what we've done with UPK. Many, many states, not enough, but many, have publicly funded preschool. Most of those states have taken a very traditional institutional approach to it. That often does not work for working families. What Mm -hmm. we understood, because people like, you know, you and others were involved in crafting the UPK model, we understood that we needed a model that could be layered with childcare, could be integrated with childcare. Preschool, the three, four hours of preschool are not this sort of isolated island. You right. know? We like understood that, that from the beginning. And so we worked hard to create a model that is unique in the country. There's no other state that's done what we have done in terms of mixed delivery, really ensuring yep. that universal preschool is integrated into childcare. Not to say that there aren't some standalone three-hour-a-day programs, and for some families that's really important. Guess what? We have that. Right now with Colorado's UPK program, there are all types of preschool offerings and many times all types in one community so families can have that choice. So mixed delivery, parent choice, high quality, these were all things that we wanted. And guess what? We had to design it from scratch. Right. This didn't exist. We didn't get a playbook from some other state. And so some of these bumps in the road that we're hearing about are things that just continually need to be worked through. And I have the confidence, being a co-chair on the Governor's Early Learning Commission, I am very confident we're going to work through these. I'm also very confident we will continue to unearth challenges because we're going to mm-hmm. continually iterate this model and improve of course, it. right? This is what um, happens when yep. you're an entrepreneuring state or organization, right? You create exactly. something new, you're iterating, you're prototyping, you're working through it. Exactly. That's just part of the deal. Well, I think our pioneering and innovative spirit in Colorado continues to show itself even through Universal Preschool. So, Agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sue. It's always a pleasure to chat with you and learn more about you. It's totally my honor, and I feel very, very blessed to have you in the role that you're in, and I'm happy to be on the the podcast today. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us on The Drop-Off, and we will talk to you next time. The Drop-Off is a production of Executives Partnering to Invest in Children. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about our organization, visit coloradoepic.org.